2: Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the January 5th edition of I M R U,
3: The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine.
1: Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm chris Ann Eastwood.
2: I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Oh my golly gosh, it's already January 5th. This year has gone by so fast. And
3: yet we cannot get far enough away from 2014. I swear, that was the worst year for so many people I know.
1: You know, I think 2014 is ready to get away from... Everybody as well. I think the year itself did not have a good time.
3: No, but, it was not. But
1: I've been writing dates all day and it's always been 2015. I've not made a mistake once. I'm no really good.
3: trouble at all. I say, welcome 2015.
1: Did you have a resolution?
2: Not to make any.
1: That's That was mine too. And I'm, I know. Go, I'm doing so well. I totally stuck to it. Yep, me too. I own
2: this. Mine was to do an amazing show at KPFK here. Um, well, well it's we've weird. all well, achieved so we our dreams. That, uh, or not. And yeah. let
1: me tell you it is going to be an amazing amazing show because tonight I'm going to talk to out singer and songwriter, amazing Mary Lambert. I love
3: her. IMRU contributor Mary Milton talks to the real life David Di Donovan, the UK label organizer played by Patty Considine in the film Pride. Oh, I love that movie.
1: Plus so we're
2: gonna have three lucky listeners are gonna get a chance to win a DVD copy of that film. Wait, three listeners three are gonna win a copy. A three DVD whole copy. listeners? DVDs, I mean oh. it's the technology. Oh my way. goodness.
1: Well, that's So you have to stick to your phones for that, also. Steve Pride is going to have a gay conversation with the author of Gay Conversations. I am? Yes, you oh, are. Exciting for me. Gay Conversations with God. Straight talk on fanatics, fags, and the God who loves us.
2: I'm fascinated already. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what I say. But first, the national and international news from this way out. <laughs>
4: I'm John Dyer the fifth, and I'm Greg Gordon, with News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the three weeks ending January 3rd, 2015. Same-gender couples in Scotland began tying the knot at the stroke of midnight on December 31st. The legislation opening civil marriage to them took effect on December 15th, but Scottish marriage laws mandate a 15-day waiting period. Gay and lesbian couples in civil partnerships, however, able to begin converting them to marriages on December 16th. Civil marriage equality is now the law of the land across Great Britain in England, Scotland, and Wales. In late December, the Irish government scheduled a public referendum on the issue for sometime in May of this year, although a specific date has yet to be announced. 85% of the population identifies as Roman Catholic, but despite the vocal opposition of Irish bishops, as many as three in four people in recent surveys support opening civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples. Northern Ireland's ruling socially conservative Democratic Unionist Party, which has strong political ties to Protestant churches, especially the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster, has consistently blocked efforts to introduce marriage equality legislation. Same-gender couples are also barred from civil marriage in the autonomous UK
5: dependencies of Jersey, Guernsey, and the Isle of Man. Same-gender couples in the tiny European nation of Luxembourg began tying the knot on January 1st, the first day they could do so under legislation that passed overwhelmingly in Parliament in mid-June 2014. Openly gay Prime Minister Xavier Battelle vowed to open civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples when he took office in late 2013. The bill also extended adoption rights to those couples. The U.S. Supreme Court has already announced that it will review a challenge to the
4: state of Louisiana's ban on civil marriage for lesbian and gay couples on January 9th, which will be the High Court's first conference of 2015. Justices decide during those private meetings which cases, if any, will move forward to oral arguments. Justices could also consider a review of the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals' decision upholding the bans on civil marriage equality in Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee on that day or in subsequent conferences later in the month. The 6th Circuit broke with four previous federal appeals court rulings that had overturned the
5: bans in more than a dozen states. The first civil marriages of same-gender couples in Florida were scheduled to take place on January 6th, following a definitive edict by federal Judge Robert Hinkle on January 1st that his ruling overturning the state's civil marriage ban last year applied statewide. A conservative law firm and Florida's Republican Attorney General Pam Bondi had fought marriage equality for gay and lesbian couples tooth and nail. The twice-divorced Bondi and the independent law firm threw in the towel following Judge Hinkle's January 1st order. But clerks in about a dozen of Florida's 67 counties have announced that some of their staff hold strong religious beliefs against same-gender unions and would be uncomfortable performing civil marriage ceremonies for them. So those county clerks have decided to end all courthouse wedding ceremonies.
4: In what some are calling a transgender version of the Matthew Shepard tragedy, 17-year-old Cincinnati, Ohio area teen Leela Alcorn, born Joshua, killed herself in the early morning hours of December 28th by stepping in front of an oncoming tractor trailer. She left a suicide note blaming her Christian conservative parents for refusing to acknowledge her female gender after she came out to them at the age of 14 and for only taking her to Christian therapists to treat her depression. Activist blogger Dan Savage has called for Leela's parents to be prosecuted for child abuse. The only way I will rest in peace, Alcorn wrote, is if one day transgender people aren't treated the way I was. They're treated like humans with valid feelings and human rights. Gender needs to be taught about in schools. The earlier, the better. My death needs to mean something. Literally hundreds of media reports around the world about the tragedy have already ensured that. And even though her mother refuses to call her Leela and has referred to her son in all media statements, an online petition has already gathered more than 65,000 signatures, demanding that Leela Alcorn's headstone bear her chosen name. Another petition calls for the enactment of what's being called Leela's Law to ban the practice known as transgender conversion therapy, similar to debunked efforts to turn lesbian and gay people into heterosexuals.
5: An increasing number of jurisdictions have already outlawed that practice. A district court in Beijing has issued a landmark ruling that a counseling center in the southeastern city of Chongqing had no medical basis to offer a cure for homosexuality. Like many gay people in China, Yang Tang said he was pressured by family members to get married and have children. After undergoing hypnosis and electric shock treatments that the staff told him were safe and effective ways to make him heterosexual, the still-gay Yang sued the clinic for damages. The court ordered the clinic to pay Yang the equivalent of about 560 U.S. dollars and to post an apology for offering the treatment on the front page of its website. The court also ordered an investigation to determine if the clinic holds a valid license to operate. Yang said in a video statement that he wants all parents in China to know that attempts at so-called gay conversion are now illegal. Although the country stopped classifying homosexuality as a mental illness in 2001, a number of clinics across China still claim to offer cures for homosexuality. In other news, about 35
4: people were injured on December 19th when a group of men forced their way into a holiday party being held at a private venue in the capital city of Harare by the advocacy group Gays and Lesbians of Zimbabwe, or GALS. According to the organization's website, at least a dozen men beat the attendees using logs, iron bars, empty beer bottles, and clenched fists, and at least one of the attackers brandished a gun. They also demanded cash and personal electronics from the partygoers. Gal's offices have previously been raided by the police and invaded by thugs with ties to the youth wing of President Robert Mugabe's ZANU PF party. The statement on the group's website charged that the latest attack was not a random act of attempted robbery, but that of militia acting on someone's superior orders to orchestrate violence. The Southern African country's long-serving President Mugabe is notorious for his verbal assaults on sexual minorities, which the gals' statement said have created a climate and culture of impunity and lawlessness as evidenced by the actions of these thuggish men to hunt down LGBTI people in our
5: communities, vicinities, and homes to inflict harm. Security forces in Gambia arrested three men in late December for committing the crime of homosexuality which could put them behind bars for life under a law signed in October by President Yaya Jame, who rivals Zimbabwe's Mugabe in homophobic rhetoric. During national television coverage of the arrests, the West African country's National Intelligence Agency appealed to the public, especially parents and landlords, to help them stamp out homosexuality. The European Union and the U.S. have reduced financial aid to Gambia since enactment of the draconian anti-gay laws, and the mostly Muslim nation has increasingly looked to the Middle East for support. A failed coup attempt at the presidential palace on December 30th, while Jame was on a private visit to Dubai, will likely increase the strongman's already tight grip on power. More than two dozen men who were arrested, along
4: with a bathhouse owner, in Cairo in early December for debauchery and perversion appeared in court on December 20th. Debauchery and perversion are the typical charges against gay men in Egypt, which has no specific laws against same-gender sex. Many of the accused hid their faces, wept, and begged the court to acquit them. The trial will continue later this month. Egyptian TV journalist Mona Iraqi has been widely condemned by media outlets around the world for allegedly arranging the raid with police officials by promising that she would have cameras rolling for her expose of what she called the biggest den of perversions in the heart of Cairo. But an appeals court has reduced the sentences from three years to one year in jail for each of the eight men who were convicted in November on charges of promoting indecency and inciting debauchery for appearing in a widely viewed YouTube video that was characterized by authorities as the first same-gender wedding ceremony in the country. Equality activists blamed the escalating crackdown on sexual minorities in religiously conservative Egypt on recently elected President Abdel Fattah Assisi, who seems to be trying to out-Muslim the previous Muslim Brotherhood regime
5: of Mohamed Morsi. But finally, homophobia apparently cost the first United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Indiana, its congregation. Many parishioners walked out in protest in early 2014 after the church's openly gay choir director was fired. Adam Fraley had held that position for almost six years. His partner was well known to the congregation, and Fraley said his sexual orientation had never been an issue until a new pastor took over. Less than a year later... Pastor David Mantor announced that financial problems were forcing the church to close. Even though as many as 80 percent of the congregation had abandoned his church after he fired Fraley, Mantor claimed that the closing was not due to that situation whatsoever.
4: That's news wrap for the three weeks ending January 3rd, 2015, produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles.
5: Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. And I'm John Dyer V.
2: You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on Stitcher Radio On Demand, on iTunes, or at thiswayout.org. Also on the program
3: this week, a unique Irish festival matches gay and lesbian singles, and Rainbow Faith inspires a gay Ghanaian activist.
1: That sounds fabulous. Speaking of fabulous, guys, I uh, had a wonderful... And we were? Uh, Thank you. I'm here. I'm here. Happy New Year, everybody. I had the... uh... Wonderful, wonderful honor and opportunity to sit down with out singer Mary Lambert. You may have heard her incredible hook on Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's Big mega hit, One Love. I kind
2: of think that that was their hook. She was the star of that.
1: You know what? I, that's a really great because you know she talks about how it all came about, um, how she got to be on this incredible song, and what a life changing event that has become. Because she is now a touring rock and roll musician. She made her way through Southern California, and I got to sit down with her and find out all about her. I can- ago we had no idea who you were. How is that?
6: I don't know. I just graduated college. I got my bachelor's in music. I was in the process of applying to graduate school to be a teacher. But I sort of made this conscious decision. I was like, I want to at least try to be a performer, to make a record. So I made my first little EP. I was in the process of recording it. I was bartending, and then I started working two other jobs. So I was working three jobs. At the time, I had gotten into spoken word, and I was exploring being a Christian and a lesbian, and that I sort of felt at odds in both communities. And people looked at me like I was some sort of contradiction So I was coming to terms with that in my poetry. It's funny because I I got asked to write a worship song. And I was like, totally, I'm I'm happy to write a worship song. And I sat down for about two hours and could not, I was like, almost wanted to throw up. I was like, this is so contrived. It feels so gross. I do not want to write this song. And equally, I wanted to write a song about gay rights. And I sat down and tried to write this gay rights song. And I was like, this feels so contrived. It doesn't feel me. So when Same Love sort of fell onto my lap uh, by a friend of mine, Hollis Wongwear who sings on White Walls, she suggested me for the song that Macklemore and Ryan had sort of exercised all of their options, and I was very much a last resort. And um, she was like, you'd be perfect for this song. And I listened to it. I was like, this is what I've been waiting for. This is the song that sort of explores that dichotomy, and I get to just talk about my point of view. And I realized that the chorus had nothing to do with either religion or gay rights. It just had to do with love, which is what I wanted to talk about that entire time.
1: So you weren't gigging like when you were in college or high school cuz I you know, I saw that you were, in, were you in theater in
6: hi, in high school and, and you were at a musical college. Did you were you busking or doing that kind of stuff? Yeah, occasionally. I was definitely doing shows about once a month and trying to get little gigs there and and I did musical theater in in high school. What what have, what have you played in, in your musical theater career? Cuz my listeners are dying to know. <laughs> I was Cinderella. I was Cinderella in the school musical. In the Roger and yeah. one? So
1: can you give us a little bit of My Own Little Corner?
6: In my own little corner, in my own little chair. See, it's so it's very musical theater.
1: <laughs> of course it is.
6: And it's, isn't it weird how you have that diction, that's musical theater diction, so, then you have pop star diction. Totally. I feel like a chameleon sometimes.
1: Now, I have to say, as a large lady myself, and this is radio, so no one can see, so I have to describe, I'm a zoftig. (laughs) I'm affably round, as I often say, (laughs) and you are too, and, and you got to play Cinderella?
6: Yeah, it was, my theater teacher was amazing, and she sort of heard my voice, and she's like, what do you want to star in? And I was like, I want to star in Cinderella. And so she sort of let it happen. Oh, my God.
1: I played more mothers than, than a 14-year-old should be allowed to play who's not living in West Virginia. And I could say that because my father was born there.
6: I mean, I definitely had my fair share of the chubby comical relief for most of the shows prior to that. But it, when I opened my mouth to sing, it was a different story. But I feel bad that um, actually the kid that played the prince was like two years younger than me, Ugh. had never had his first kiss, and was very Christian. <laughs> I was like your first kiss is on stage with a chubby lesbian <laughs> so how did he do my friends were like mary you were totally grimacing <laughs> i was like i didn't mean to <laughs> i tried to get into it <laughs> you know you gotta d- change I oh i don't know you
1: can't change <laughs> now you are a songwriter how did your christian upbringing inform your songwriting
6: Growing up at the Pentecostal Church, my first influence of music was worship music, which I think is very passionate. Gospel music is passionate. People are so on fire for what they believe in. So that passion, I think, actually fueled something really important in me and sort of this emotional drive. And then as I left the Pentecostal Church and then later the Evangelical Church, I found that for me it was much more of a sacred personal experience and music sort of complemented that transition, I guess your Christianity, how has it evolved now? The one thing that I really have taken from leaving organized religion is that I don't have to have my prayer facilitated by someone else and that for me was a big thing is that I can be in my own counsel with God and have my own belief systems and there's no amount of judgment in that way and I still consider myself a Christian my mom's a Piscitellian and my girlfriend's Jewish and so I get to believe what I want to believe and I value that I believe that everyone's journey is their own well you're an out artist
1: and you, you were out right away no questions asked you feel pressure from any avenue
6: that you are an out proud artist I think being gay is inherently political whether you want it to be or not and you're constantly going to be on a lens and because the community I think is kind of small at least in the public eye you're going to always have sort of people watching your move and and what what do you say and for me I'm comfortable in that sense I I have always felt a bit like a a leader and and just someone that really speaks their mind so I think really consciously about what am I putting forward what intention is going to be out there and so for me I feel comfortable in that sense. I think my fan base is incredible. I feel really respected and people are really kind to me and I think often are just really supportive of whatever I want to say and I think the resounding feeling is just vulnerability and love. And with all of that comes social justice stuff, you know. Speaking of that, your lyrics are
1: incredibly informed by your personal life. Yes. You've made that very very open. And there's a lot of love there. Do you have other inspirations from your lyrics besides your life? No,
6: no? <laughs> no, and that's fair. Yeah, I I think actually one of like the harshest criticism I ever got in college was like, you should try writing a song that's not about you. <laughs> I guess like, it's it's that's the part of the artist ego. But I also like I've been through so much and every year I feel like is so drastically different than the last that I'm constantly processing. And this is like writing is just a way for me to not explode. So so and and I think it, it often resonates with people and so that's what is propelling for it well the greatest works by
1: songwriters have come from the person of Joni Mitchell Blue you know and and James Taylor and Tracy Chapman those those are your influences and so forth which are mine too which is awesome (laughs) your lyrics really give voice to vulnerable situations particularly I'm listening today to Secrets (laughs) Secrets is quite a song
6: thank you I wanted to write an empowerment song I think that they're really popular right now, and I, I love that there's this wave. I love Colby Kelly's Try, and Megan Trainor's All About That Bass. I wanted to put my my spin on it, which is, I think, the best way to ask people to be vulnerable is to put the lens on yourself and extend that hand as sort of an invitation. And I know for me that I used to walk around with so much guilt and shame and I felt like half of a person. And I see people walking around as like almost shells of themselves. And for me, because I've I've come from a place of healing and I've learned so much from that point that I feel like I have something to offer in that sense.
1: You verbalize things that people don't really realize that they're thinking. I mean, you kind <laughs> of, I mean, you know, because some people say, oh,
6: you said just what I'm thinking. But I think you're verbalizing some things that people don't even know that they're thinking. That's part of my goal. I don't want to just be a pop singer. I want to be a healer. And I feel like I've sort of infiltrated into this world. And I want to dismantle a lot of these stigmas that have inhibited me from living fully. And now that I've experienced this you know, immense joy, I feel like I would be almost selfish to not want to offer that to other people and offer my, my experience in healing and, and what that's been for me.
1: I saw you um, when you were at Dinah this year at the uh, Dinah thing in Palm Springs. And you made a comment about, I'm kind of known for like my sad
6: songs and so forth. But Heart on a Sleeve is kind of a dance tune. I am so excited about this record. There's a lot of upbeat songs. And I got through listening to it. I was like, wow, there's like more than two upbeat songs. This is amazing. Yeah, I fell in love. I met my dream girl. And why not be so excited about that? Why not write these fun pop songs and yeah heart on my sleeve is really fun to sing i'm excited about it what's next for you after this tour I'm gonna work the record i'm gonna you know world domination um (laughs) i don't know we'll see where the world goes but i'm already thinking about the next record i'm like no slow down
1: (laughs) now i have to ask because your songwriting is so amazing and you are a true singer songwriter are you planning on working with anybody else and anything in the works with some
6: folks that we may have heard about Sam Smith and I have become really good friends. I love to work with Sam, and um, also love Echo Smith. They're fantastic too, and I'd like to write with Sydney and them. So those are some people, and then of course I have a constant called Nally Maines.
1: <laughs> and what about getting you back on stage in musical theater?
6: My girlfriend and I have talked about writing a musical, like in the future. There's so many things that I want to do. I would love to write write a musical. I'd love to be on Broadway. There's so many things that I want to do. Absolutely.
1: Mary Lambert, this has been an absolute delight. You are just as cute as a button. Thank you. Cute as a button. And I'm just (laughs) so glad to have met you, and I'm so thrilled. Can you send one last message out to the young folks out there who are listening to our show, who may have not come out yet or are still struggling with who they are and listen to your music and think, wow, Mary Lambert's really cool. I wish I could be as brave as her. I
6: think the one lesson that I wish someone had told me at a young age is that you're worth more than who you attract. Your self-worth is not contingent upon someone else's attraction to you. You have to find that within yourself first. If you are focused on, um, you know, losing weight, which is a fine goal to have, but make sure that that's based in health and self-love before anything else, before then some calibration to pop culture or someone's idea of what beauty is your real beauty is what you determine i think that's what's really beautiful and then also i mean among many things i've learned a lot by the people around me and i think it's so important to have an amazing support system that you trust that loves you that understands you and if you don't have that support system then you have to make it
1: Mary Lambert was a wonderful interview. You can find out more about her at her website, Mary Lambert's Sings, MaryLambertSings.com. I think she's going back out on the road in February. Album is in stores, "Hard uh, on My Sleeve, and uh, the concert was amazing, guys. Really, I, really was good. I'm
3: always so glad when we have musical people on this show because I'm so ignorant when it comes to music, pop music. Genre music, anything. So it's always so fun to hear about these people and their lives and how they got there. Cause... Yeah,
1: it's it was just like you know she was she was doing this kind of stuff and, and gets thrown into this thing, but she writes her own stuff. And the concert was great. It was in Thousand Oaks, California, which in the, in their kind of performance art, um, really fabulous. And the great big one. The, it's yeah, the Great Big Performing Arts Center. The but Fred I mean, Cavalli. yeah, the Fred Cavalier. <laughs> but of course, it is you know Thousand Oaks is not that large of a city, but yeah. um, you know a lot of the docents there are senior citizens, a lot of old folks, yeah. and you know of. I mean, there was a lot of lesbians at this concert and a lot of young gay boys, a lot of piercings, a lot of tats, and I didn't think they knew what to do with the crowd because normally they get like yeah. Jack Jones and, you know, South Pacific. So it was fun to watch that, too.
3: Well, it was fun that you tracked Mary Lambert down, but still to come, mm. the real-life union organizer portrayed in the hit UK film Pride. This is surprisingly not about Steve Pride. Uh, no, I'm it's not. so crazy. I assumed it was. No,
1: but there is a chance for this movie Pride. You can win your own DVD copy of this.
3: How many many people are going to get that
2: chance? You know,
1: three people are going to get that chance. I'm looking for my next piece of paper. (laughs) But, but, But they
2: cannot go away because that's coming up after the break. Yes. We'll be right back.
7: Homer's Phobia, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. It was 1997 when the animated television series The Simpsons tackled the gay issue in the episode Homer's Phobia. Here, Homer Simpson is worried that the new family friend's influence might make his son Bart gay. Filmmaker John Waters guest starred as the voice of The Simpsons' gay friend named John, with the animated character largely based on Waters' own appearance. Waters jumped at the chance to be on the show, stating that if Elizabeth Taylor could do it, so could he. Taylor's voice was heard on two episodes in season four. Ultimately, the episode won an Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program in 1997. Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, or GLAAD, called it a shining example of how to bring intelligent, fair, and funny representations of our community onto television. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, George A. Ruther.
8: Hi, this is Sam Harris, singer, actor, author, husband, dad. I'm so many things, I'm about to explode. Listen to IMRU Radio Magazine every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFK. FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest China Lake, or streaming online at kpfk.org.
0: (laughs)
2: Get us with IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride, And
1: my ears are bleeding. I'm Chrisanne Eastwood.
3: And I'm Wenzel Jones. The time is now 7.31, almost 7.32. Now, Ooh. the film
1: Pride yeah. tells the story of a 1980s British coal miner strike unexpectedly joined by a coalition of gay activists. IMRU contributor Mary Milton.
3: From our UK Bureau.
1: Spoke with the real-life leader of that Welsh miners group. <laughs>
9: Welcome. Come on in, everybody. Great to see you again. Thank you very much for having us. Now, I'm hoping you can clear something up for me about lesbians. Mm, not now, Gwen. It's no, something I was told in the covered market, and to be honest with you, it did surprise me. Yeah, get settled to... in sure, you
7: know.
10: That's from Pride, a new film set during the miners' strike of the 1980s. Di is based on a real person, David Donovan, and he also happens now to be my union official. This is a bit weird for me because I actually feel like as I know you a bit already and I count you as a friend. Yeah. I knew you had a kind of previous life as as a minor <laughs> and suddenly I'm seeing a bit of your life upon the screen.
11: Well, I th- I think you say it's weird for you. It's uh, it's the same for me frankly because to think that somebody would contact you and discuss, you know, incidents from your past 30 years ago or then now uh, were merited, if you like, portrayal on a screen. And uh, to go further than that, to actually uh, retain your identity on the screen, I mean, it is really unusual. Uh, I think when when you look back on those events, it's easy enough, I think, to think of them as almost history now. Uh, but I think the the message in the film is uh, is as valid today as as the the reason the incidents came into being. 30 years ago.
10: What was going on for you and your community yeah. at yeah. that time? Where were you?
11: Well, we were talking about the miners' strike in 82 and 85. The industrial landscape of South Wales in particular uh, was very bleak. I think it's all too easy to forget the attack on society that was going on at that time by Thatcher and the Conservative government. Uh, it was a deconstruction of major trades unions up and down the country. It was an attack on individuals, whether you were identified as a trades unionist or whether you were identified by the colour of your skin or indeed your sexuality. Uh, I think it's all too easy to forget how, how terrible those times were when we look at society today. So
10: there you are, you're part of a relatively small mining community in Mm -hmm. South Wales and lesbians and gays support the miners suddenly sort of crashed into your life. How did did that happen?
11: Quite simply really that I was asked to pick up a cheque that came from lesbians and gays in London and would I go and pick the cheque up and I unhesitatingly said yes of course I will because I believe that, for me, the strike was political. It always was, and it was about a much wider uh, defence than the defence of an immediate colliery or community in the coalfields.
10: I have to say, one of the extraordinary scenes is you're meeting the group in London and you're portrayed as saying, I, I don't think I've met any gay people before. <laughs> is, is that a slight embroidering of the truth?
11: Yes, it is, really. But, I mean, the producers were always very, very careful to say that, look, this isn't a documentary, uh, almost to reassure us that it wouldn't be a documentary, that there was some uh, a dramatic licence to be taken. And I think that's fair enough.
10: There's also um, a scene where you're seen giving a speech in a gay club.
11: I'm going to
9: invite somebody onto the stage now who wants to talk to you and I want you to listen to him. He comes from the Delice valley in South Wales and he um, well he's a striking miner and he has something he wants to say to you. I've had uh, I've had a lot of new experiences during the strike speaking in public, standing on a picket line, and now I'm in a, a gay bar. Well, if you don't like it, you can go home. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do like it. Beers a bit expensive, mine. <laughs> but really, there's only one difference between this and a bar in South Wales. The women, they're a lot more feminine in you.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
9: what I'd really like to say to you tonight is thank you. If you're one of the people that's put money in these buckets, if you've supported LGSM, then thank you. Because what you've given us is more than money, it's friendship. when you're in a battle against an enemy so much bigger, so much stronger than you, but to find out you had a friend you never knew existed... Well, that's the best feeling in the world. So thank you.
10: Please tell me that that's true. Please tell mm-hmm. me that happened. Oh.
11: Most of what you see is accurate, yeah.
10: You're grinning. Did you enjoy that?
11: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. It was It was so far removed from my everyday experience. So far removed. I think it's fair to say that the clubs that I went to, that I was taken to by lesbians and gays, were a real eye-opener. And yet, you know, the the experience itself was just a reaffirmation that we are all... The same people, basically. I gave that speech in, in the gay club. Uh, I think the first time I went there to pick up a cheque, it was in uh, one of the nightclubs in London and then subsequently at a Gaze the Word bookshop and attending meetings there and then at the Pits and Perverts uh, concert. And, and yes, all of that is accurate. It felt like you went on a bit of a limb because you then invited them mm-hmm. back to your to your yeah. home. Yeah. Well, well, I didn't actually invite them to my home. I invited them down to the community that we were. That is the Neath, Swansea and Dulles Valley support group. We would bring support groups down to the mining communities so that they could see exactly what and who they were supporting. Uh, the difficulty was that they were late arriving and so therefore they couldn't find the hall that uh, we'd arranged all the families the number of the families going to take people back to their homes. So they ended up in my home and they all spent, I think it was over 40 uh, people spent the night on uh, the room. Over 40 spent the night lying in, uh, in all sorts of cul-de-sacs in my home and my wife and my two children were there and it was quite an experience and I I'll always remember my daughter coming down the stairs. She was about seven or eight at the time coming down the stairs just looking with all these you, you literally couldn't put your feet onto a, a clear space of floor to walk across and, and it's one of those memories that sort of enrich one's memories and experiences at that time. It's enriched it for me, certainly my family, but it's enriched it for my daughter and my son at the time as well, who have these fleeting memories, albeit too young at that stage, to know exactly what they were, you know.
10: Did that feel like a bit of a, a risk inviting gays and lesbians from Mm. London, Mm. to come to what might have been a slightly more conservative, Mm. with a small Mm. C, Mm. Welsh village.
11: In my mind, there was never any doubt at all, nor was there any doubt in the mind of the support group when we discussed it. But the strange thing was, as the date was coming nearer to that weekend, I did wonder... I wondered whether people were as actually as generous as I imagined they were, because it's all too easy if you're a, a little bit chopsy, a little bit loud-mouthed, to be, you know, driving things through. The amazing thing about the experience was that the families in the communities of South Wales were every bit as generous as I imagined. We didn't even have to consider it twice. They showed an openness and a generosity that I'm extremely proud of. I'm proud of that fact too today.
10: What else did they bring the community other than the cash?
11: The importance of it was that individuals in that community took lesbian and gay people into their homes, whereas they couldn't identify other people that worked in the colonies or worked in the factories that were lesbian and gay. And so that therefore, that generosity was very important in being able to show everybody that Ultimately, we're all human beings and we have hopes and aspirations that all of us would wish to aspire to. And I think the uh, opportunity it gave us was to say that we know some of us experienced this for the first time. That is the concerted attack of the state. Whereas uh, you have been experiencing this from when, if you would read the sun or the, or the, the mail or the express and the opportunity it gave us was to forge that link with them and, uh, some people may remember that the miners were called the enemy within, but of course, other sections of society had been considered to be the enemy within, and it was our opportunity to do, say, "You wore our badge, now we'll wear yours." And I think that intermingling, if you like, of ideas, that mixing, if you like, of identity, is something that was extremely valuable and made it sustainable for the last thirty years. Why should gay people like me support the mind? Because miners dig for
9: call, which produces power, which allows gay people like you to dance to Bananarama until three o'clock in the morning.
10: Next question. Let me move on to the kind of the experience mm. of your life mm. is in a film. What does that do to you when you watch mm. it?
11: Well, it, it is unusual. I mean, I think I spent the first few minutes, like, well, I don't know what it would be typical, but I I, uh, I was looking for the character that was playing me, and I found myself thinking, oh, well, I didn't wear my hair like that, or I didn't dress like that, and then... But that only lasted a few minutes because, in fairness, I think Paddy Considine, who acts as me, I met him for about an hour it he certainly took on my spirit and he took on my character if you like and one of my children said as much and to see that portrayed it came through to me as well that maybe he wasn't as decisive as I would like to think I was uh, maybe he wasn't but what he captured of me was if you like that that sincerity about the desire to see people under attack to work together to support each other to support each other
10: i don't want to ruin the film mm-hmm. but it's got the most amazing ending there were several times during the movie where i, I was in tears mm-hmm. from just remembering what the 80s were mm-hmm. like it was so real and also it it felt close to me because mm-hmm. i know you but the ending of that movie when what happens happens mm-hmm. What did that feel like in real life?
11: I found myself the same as you, feeling the same about some of the memories being portrayed there. Frankly, it felt like a justification. It felt like a confirmation of that a desire for two communities to hold hands and to help each other. It was about the desire and the... To, that no people should feel alone and that when you make those links that those links are sustained and that simply because the pressure had gone off the miners because unfortunately we lost that big battle it didn't mean to say that those links that were forged in adversity would fall as well
10: has it changed you and and did it change the community are those things still there
11: they they definitely still there because many of the individuals that were involved on both sides some some regrettably have have died since the uh since the events portrayed, and some of the key players that that are portrayed in the film have have died uh, sadly but the friendships that were forged then are still there. The memories of what was forged then are still there, and I would argue that what was built within the lesbian and gay community, that is that it would take its place amongst mainstream political uh, dialogue in the United Kingdom is definitely there. Anybody that uh, fails to be convinced of that only has to look at the timeline of politics for lesbian and gay community in the early 80s and see where it is today. It is part of mainstream society, part of mainstream politics today.
9: Thank you, David. Who hates the miners? Thatcher. Who else? The police, the public, and the tabloid press. It sounds familiar. Surely. But no. the only problem we've got that they haven't is Mary Whitehouse, and that can only be a matter of time. That's
7: great. I'm home. I'm
9: gay. I'm Welsh.
7: That's right.
3: I was never so proud of our UK bureau as I am right now.
1: Yes, I am, and I love the <laughs> accents. I mean, t- t- and please, this movie is about. Who knows how to protest better than the gays?
3: It's true. and it was it was such a good movie. I don't I don't know how many of you were, were listening when we were giving away tickets to this film and actually came to see it at the ArcLight. but it was a lovely film, a little sentimental, perhaps. But if only know, we could give that opportunity again, you know it would be a blessing, and it would be a pleasure because you can. If you <gasps> call us here, three of you can walk away with a DVD that we will mail to you. Just call eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. If you want to make that difficult, it's 818-985-KPFK, and we can send you a DVD of Pride, a lovely movie. Operators
1: some lovely are standing people. by, 818-985-5735. So, 8- so you're it,
2: telling me that's 818-985-5735? Yes, it's 818
1: 985 Five seven three five for your free DVD copy of Pride, Golden Globe nominated, and the awards are this Sunday.
3: And full of wall to wall eighties disco music.
1: I know the soundtrack is awesome.
3: I know
2: it is great. OMG.
1: M G. What is this leading of up God. to? Uh, God. <laughs> How's is, that for a His first initials are O M.
2: Smooth. Smooth. <laughs> Smooth. I recently had a chance to sit down and talk to. An author about God. Oh, I thought
1: you were t- sat down with God.
2: Well, no, that, that's next week. Ah. Anyway, let's take a listen. James Alexander Langto attended the Pat Robertson-founded Regent University in Virginia, and after graduation was hired as a producer on The 700 Club. Odd Choices for a Man Struggling with His Sexuality. So, not surprisingly, since coming out, the TV producer turned author has a lot to say about God and acceptance.
0: I'm James Alexander Langto, and I've written the book Gay Conversations with God, straight talk on fanatics, fags, and the God who loves us all.
2: It's interesting. This is Conversations with God. You take full author credit.
0: That's true. You're not sharing your royalties I'm with him. Not. Well, I'm sending percentages.
2: When did you know you were gay?
0: I guess I would known since I was a really little kid. I remember just being drawn to men, older men that would be up visiting the household or older brothers. I would just want to be around them, uh, fascinated by them. Nothing sexual, obviously, but just the affection and attention I was really drawn to. And then I remember when, like, new boys moved into town. I would ride my bike way across this little small town to go sort of stalk them, you know, I'd be six, seven years old, and I'd decide I needed to play tennis at their tennis court, rather than the one right outside my house, so that I could possibly run into them. So it became clear pretty early on. And then I think, you know, the typical sleepovers in the tent with your best friend. And uh, I remember actually, I don't think I've shared this with anyone, but my best friend and I got in big trouble in third grade for holding hands walking down the hall. And I felt so shamed. I mean, I just loved him. And he loved me, and we were just in a tiny town in Wisconsin, walking hand in hand down the down the hall and I think that forever really scarred me, and I think it also set that sort of fag word in motion way back then.
2: You began your career in Christian broadcasting. any surprises coming out to old friends?
0: I'm constantly surprised in talking to people that seem incredibly intelligent who are Bible believing Christians. The minute you start to speak logically about the fact that, you know, one of my chapters in this book is about the Peter vision, where Peter has a vision where what was once called abominable is no longer God said, What I've called clean, let no man call unclean. And on a Wednesday in old test or New Testament time, he changes our law and says, I'm welcoming the Gentiles in. And you no longer need to be circumcised. So come on in. Well, that was huge. And if you just say, Well, maybe God's doing that again. Maybe he's saying, yeah, at one time this was a law, but I'm more concerned about the hearts of my children. I'm more concerned about being in a relationship with them rather than who they're sleeping with or what they identify with. These are my sons and my daughters. I love them and I want to welcome them in. And Jesus, you know, made it very clear that the greatest law of all is the law of love. There's no greater law than the law of love. So the lesser law always bows to the greater law of love. And his love for his gay kids is so rich that I believe he's changing that old, old law when the world needed to be populated. And, you know, there are 40 Jews bumbling around the planet. You don't want boys boinking boys. You need more Jews. Nowadays, we've got a lot of people, so it may be okay. And you start to have that conversation with somebody, and they go blank. Their eyes get glazed over, and they can't hear it, even though there's a scriptural uh, precedent.
2: Well, 2,000 years ago, we were not the only abomination. It was a very different time.
0: Everything was about procreating and survival, making sure you didn't die. And so many of those laws are good. There was a basis for not eating pork. There was trichinosis and a lot of things. But I think if you're going to choose one law and say homosexuals be damned, what about the ones right next to it that say if your teenage son is rebellious, take him outside the city gates and stone him to death? We'd have no teenagers. You can't cherry pick which Laws that you want to abide by. Jesus said, You either obey all the laws or you let me fulfill the law. And it's that simple.
2: You've written three books with God in the title God.com, Extreme Intimacy with an Interactive God, God God.net, The Journey Beyond Belief, and this one Gay Conversations with God, Straight Talk on Fanatics, Fags, and the God Who Loves Us All. I'm guessing you're a Christian.
0: I say in the book, this book has a foreskin instead of a foreword, and I say that I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I want to be known by my love, not my hate. And for a while I was saying I wasn't a Christian. But now I realize I am a total believer in Jesus who laid his life down and took a beating and was bloodied by the ignorance of religious men. And he did that without an ounce of malice. And he's a hero, my hero. So I think that I'm witnessing the very same thing happening to my brothers and sisters. They're being beaten and bloodied beyond belief by the big bat of religion, not just Christian, but lots of religions. And most of them have to come to a place of saying, all right, I have got to give God the finger and be true to myself or live in hell and then go to hell. So it's just a living hell. And I am really encouraging with this book. I'm saying, you know what? Forget all the ignorance that you've heard. Forget the harsh words of judgment and wrath. These are not true words. The words are, please don't give God the finger. Give him your hand instead because he loves you and just as you are.
2: What do you want readers to take away from gay conversations with God?
0: I really would like to leave this one thought that I feel like maybe what makes this book, Gay Conversations with God, different than other books on the subject are that I'm not arguing scripture. I'm not smart enough to do that. I've lived a lifetime as a gay man who battled myself about being gay and loving God. And finally had an epiphany that, wait a minute, God is in love with me and I'm gay. The math isn't working out. So for me, it's experiential. And I realize that God loves gay people. And secondly, that we've got to stop the madness. We can shout at each other till the end of time, you know, turn or burn, or we're here, we're queer, get used to it, and nobody's listening. So I'm really asking the gay community to start, because all great fashions start with the gays, to start to just forgive and love Christians, even if they only return anger in return.
2: This has been a Gay Conversation with James Alexander Langto, author of Gay Conversations with God, Straight Talk on Fanatics, Fags, and the God Who Loves Us All. I'm Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Hallelujah, amen.
3: And we're back. (laughs) Yes, we
1: are. (laughs) Steve, that was really interesting. Um, Do you believe that he talks to
2: God? I believe that he talks. I don't know if he talks back. That's really between him and his maker.
1: Well, you know what? I think God is pretty darn excited if you do believe in a God because guess what? You can get married now in Florida if you are gay. Yay. You worked that yeah.
3: in.
2: I was wondering how you were to get that
1: I in I got it in there. Gosh darn it.
3: For some reason, it's like Utah. I'm just so pleased. Winslow and I went to school in Florida. We did.
1: Now you can get married down there if you want to. Disney gay weddings. I think it's going to be a well, huge, be nice. huge
2: it celebration. I'd love to be in the Cinderella coach.
1: Yes. Wouldn't that be fun? That you could be. go back because you were once the prince. Uh, of course, we're he all wondering. Prince Charming. He was Prince Charming. We all want to know, so of course, what is ago, Anita Bryant thinking right
3: now? Oh, I hope somebody interviews her and it goes viral. <laughs>
2: oh, my, Wouldn't <laughs> be something? Well, boys and girls, mums and dads, that's the end of our ride. Mm. Gather your personal courage. Take Tim Pericles by the hand and exit to the far, far left of the tram's Forward motion.
1: Thanks to Michelle Marie Gilgison, coordinating producer Steve Pride, our Rainbow Minute producers Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. If
3: you have comments or story suggestions, tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio or contact us directly via email at IMRU Radio at IMRU Radio.org. And
1: we close tonight with same love from Macklemore and Ryan Lewis with my fabulous new pal, Mary Lambert. Good night. Good night.
3: Bye.